Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk. With me today is the editor of Strategy Page, well-known military author and game designer, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us is the associate editor of Strategy Page, columnist and author, Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. I thought we'd talk a little bit about Israel today. Things have been going quite well for them, right, Jim? Yes, despite predictions otherwise, uh, the Abraham Accords, which Austin will get into, uh, have uh, held up. And uh, <clears throat> Israel has basically become an unofficial part of uh, NATO. Uh, he, they're selling a lot more weapons to NATO countries without any, any uh, grief. <clears throat> they're also um, uh, conducting uh, more international training. They have their blue flag, flag exercises which are angering uh, certain, you know, countries like Iran, because more and more of the uh, the Arab countries are joining. And, of course, there's another thing up they've got going in Greece, where they've partnered with uh, Greece to start a, a pilot training operation, <coughs> competing with one that just started up in Italy, also, uh, you know, with uh, some help from the Israelis. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Arabs are hard-pressed the Arabs, the Iranians are hard pressed uh, to slow this down. They are trying. They basically ordered their their militias in uh, Lebanon and Yemen to pile on, not to surrender, uh, because that's all they've got. Now, they're, they're doing fairly well with uh, Hezbollah because Hezbollah is basically threatening to uh, restart the, uh, the civil war, which ended uh, in 1990 after 15 years. Unfortunately, uh, the end of Hezbollah, the end of uh, that civil war, basically led to the uh, the the how should I put it the permanence of Hezbollah. Hezbollah was the only militia in the uh, in the peace agreement that was allowed to keep its weapons because they were technically fighting uh, to drive the Israelis out of southern Lebanon. Of course, the people of southern Lebanon didn't want the Israelis leaving, but eventually they did. Rather than then have another war with uh, with Lebanon in Lebanon, um, and uh, of course that's coming back to haunt them. But the uh, uh, the Israeli Prime Minister recently visited, well, last couple of weeks, Russia, where he and Vladimir Putin came to an unofficial understanding or treaty, whatever you want to call it, that they would do all they could uh, to uh, get the Iranians out of Syria. Now, that's critical for the Iranians because if they're, they're turfed out of uh, Syria by one way or another, uh, that will much reduce their leverage in Lebanon. And, of course, the majority of Lebanese who have lots of problems right now, well, they always had lots of problems. But after the 1990 peace deal, uh, they became much more corrupt. And that has led to, well, for example, a 90 percent decline in the, uh, the currency which is more, you know, uh, how should I put it, uh, created by uh, a few uh, politicians who are getting rich over it, whereas most people are losing, you know, 90% of whatever money they had in the bank. Um, they're blocking the, uh, the government is blocking, because of the sectarianism, uh, an investigation of that ammonium nitrate explosion earlier in the year, which basically destroyed much of the uh, port of, uh, of Beirut. And um, 
you know, Lebanon really wants a change, and they're not going to get it as long as the Iranians are sitting in Syria and able to uh, keep their um, uh, their Hezbollah going. Now, another factor <coughs> which may come into play, uh, the Iranians are making a full court press to get the sanctions lifted, the sanctions that were reimposed in, uh, in 2017 and, and caused them great grief, uh, especially in, uh, in Lebanon, where they had to cut in half their economic uh, subsidies to uh, uh, Hezbollah, which caused a lot of uh, Hezbollah employees, and there are many of them, to lose their jobs or suffer big pay cuts. So, you know, it's one thing after another. Uh, Iran keeps saying, you know, hang with us, we'll make it all better, but, you know, their track record so far is, is sinking more and more, and we can't afford to let them make a, a comeback. So, uh, yeah, Israel is basically standing in the way of all sorts of bad stuff, and a lot more people are coming to realize that. Austin, how are the Abrahams Accords going? Dan, they, they appear to be on hold, uh, but they're not. Uh, they appear to be on hold because, uh, in part, the current U.S. Uh, administration uh, seeks to de-emphasize them. And if that seems a little bit harsher, at least ignore them, because the prior administration uh, brought uh, perceive what were perceived as enemies uh, together at the table, meaning uh, Arab Muslim states uh, uh, and, and Israel. Uh, they really aren't. Jim brought up the blue flag uh, uh, exercises. Uh, UAE had uh, observers at, at it. There's some indication that, it, of course, there were say, observers, but they're also uh, <clears throat> discussing how they would uh, operate with uh, Israeli forces in a in a war. And of course, who would be the likely enemy there? It's Iran. Jim already brought that up. Uh, in the, in the blue flag, the British and, and, and U.S. forces were uh, definitely uh, participating. By the way, now, Israel is in, in central command for a long time. It was curious to what command it was in, whether it was in UCOM, European Command, or CENTCOM. That may sound like a, a, a small deal or a, a, a large deal, but uh, it uh, makes them <coughs> – Clearly, that the, 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 its central command, which would be uh, involved in a war with, uh, uh, with, with Iran. The, the thing about the Abraham Accords is that there were uh, very, there were a lot of uh, Arabs and Israelis who, for, I'll say, you know, for decades, really at least three decades, uh, more, but definitely three decades, uh, that's a, you know, we got to end in this. There's too much uh, upside, and uh, to uh, there, there's so much up, up upside to uh, even cold peace, much less uh, warm peace. Uh, the, the examples on that would, were already Jordan and and Egypt, and because Jordan and Israel have been in, in business, really. The sad thing was the 67 war, which was uh, a mistake on King Hussein's uh, part to uh, launch it. But they've been in business and uh, doing doing well for each other. And then after uh, Sadat uh, and Begin uh, with their uh, uh, agreement that the uh, Carter administration helped uh, uh, foster, 
uh, they, the cold peace was productive for both Israel and uh, Egypt, if only from the point that they're not, well, and I'll, I'll say this from Egypt's point of view, we're not wasting money fighting people who are, who are going to uh, defeat us and will be a big waste of money as well as a waste of lives. Now, that may seem cynical, but the, the, the deal is, is that it's also a realistic uh, assessment. That assessment was made also by, by Persian Gulf, Arabian Gulf, what do you want to call it, the, uh, you know, that, the, well, that water dam that's between, you know, Qatar and UAE and, and Iran, uh, the Persian Gulf states, Gulf Cooperation Council states. Uh, at the major international trade level, the Emiratis, the UAE, were already also de doing business with the Israelis because uh, they're, they're just they're so much technology, so much uh, finance uh, uh, knowledge, and it, it, it paid off for both of them. Everybody, even the uh, even the Al Qaeda and Islamic State radicals, knew that this uh, knew that this was going on, and. The Saudis had got caught, if you remember a few years ago, in one of the, I think it was a WikiLeaks uh, a scandal. There was a, a senior Saudi uh, defense minister who was having a conversation with uh, someone I believe was in the U.S. State Department. I, I, I haven't looked at this in years, but I remember reading it in some of the uh, published uh, uh, published material. And, and I'm paraphrasing him, but basically he said, if the Israelis want an air corridor to come through to strike the Iranians, they'll they'll get one. Uh, and that that got some that got some play. I think we even had a, a couple of comments on strategy page about that. We can you know do a uh, a search and, and and turn it up. But you you see that, and that's you know uh, really 15, 20 years old. Uh, that that kind of cooperation. Cooperation and, and extremists and, and and defense cooperation was going on uh, uh, on uh, on the QT, the quiet. It was, uh, but it was there. So you've got you've got the public social interest. Uh, you've got the economic interest, and you've got the military defense interest that are all lined up with. Uh, I know the Saudis aren't there yet, but the Emiratis are, uh, the Kuwaitis want to be, the Qataris walk a, a little line, but uh, they're, they're interested, uh, Bahrain, uh, you, you have uh, Sudan, who's also come in on it. It's going to be interesting to see how that comes out after this uh, coup uh, in uh, by, the, uh, by the military, um, but <clears throat> my my thought on it is is that that that's that it's it's not going to change uh change a relationship it's got with the uh with the israelis you already had the egyptians and and the jordanians and it's it's not only in public and in day-to-day uh, -day diplomacy and it's you know it's it's over it's over now you're seeing as jim said and pointed out to the blue flag exercises, but you're seeing overt uh, defense uh, military cooperation. And <clears throat> it's also, I, th I think this is something in a, that uh, two, other, a two other regional powers, uh, Russia and Turkey, 
I think the Russians are aware of it. The Russians are aware that they can make money with the Israelis, and even though they're going to play the, their radical cards, they uh, have uh, – they. <clears throat> I'm not quite sure what the, the word would be, but they're not going to get in the way of this rapprochement, and they haven't. And here the, the Turks had a, a really an alliance with the Israelis up until the time of Erdogan, our, you know, uh, Sultan Rajib, as, as he's called, and we call him that on, on the strategy page as well, where he goes around with this, you know, uh, political Islamist uh, card, oh, you know, bad Israelis, and, and, and really ruptures the, the uh, technological and defense alliance. And economic uh, alliance that the Israelis had, and the Tur uh, and, and the Turks had. I think he's left on the outside uh, of this because the Turks have have tried to uh, uh, maintain good relations with the uh, uh, wealthy uh, Arab uh, petro states, and you see the major ones. Uh, uh, if not signing on to the Abraham Accords, they are uh, nodding at it. They're in nodding, uh, a, a nodding agreement. Uh, I think the Turks are, are also angered, uh, but it's it's Erdogan's doing. I'm not going to blame the uh, you know day to day the, the Turks. It's the, it's Erdogan's uh, part of his uh, egotism, uh, e egotistical neo Ottoman Empire uh, activity. Is uh, it's Jim brought up the Greeks and and the Israelis. They've got uh, uh, defense. Uh, they've got defense arrangements. And they're increasingly strong, but they've also got economic arrangements because of the way that they're using their seabeds for that uh, for the oil and gas deposits, primarily the large uh, natural gas uh, deposits off the Israeli coast. That the little Fiathan field, I think, is the is the the major one? That's that's great too. That the uh, book of Jonah there, Dan. You know the, the Leviathan out there. Uh, the Israelis are going to uh, run uh, uh, gas transmission lines up off uh, Cyprus, which aggravates the Turks, and goes on to uh, uh, and goes on to Greece. So it's not that Greece is part of the Abraham Accords, but they are part of NATO, so is Turkey. But as Jim pointed out, you've got all these major NATO nations that now exercise openly with the Israelis and do so in Israel with the blessing of the uh, Arab states that uh, have signed the Abraham Accords. So it's like a dipli it is a diplomatic and public expression of a lot of things that have been going on for 30 years, which tells me that's, you know, that you, it's reached the point that not only uh, can we talk about it and recognize it? It's becoming a a day-to-day -day, uh, economic and political reality. So th that's the that's the significant the significance of it. Uh, it's uh, I, it, the it, it's not going to die because it's it works for so many people that really want it to work. I just wish that the United States would be back uh, publicly. Back uh, in the on the diplomatic uh, diplomatic side of it, as, as Jim pointed out, the military's uh, engaged in it, and that is that's an, a form of open source diplomacy.
but the uh, actually getting those agreements out was significant. It was a Nobel Peace Prize worthy uh, accomplishment, I think, Dan. Jim, Iran and Israel have had some, uh, I guess the best term for it would be some cyber competition with each other. Is that still going on? Yes. Uh, for one thing, there are two reasons for doing it. One is the, uh, you know, the military uh, diplomatic information to steal. The second is economic, uh, uh, you know, theft. Uh, Israel is one of the, uh, how should I put it, uh, the leaders in developing new technology of all sorts, from medical uh, to uh, military through, uh, uh, you name it, the, the Israelis are doing it. Uh, it's how they survive as a small nation in a uh, in a volatile area, um, and the the Emiratis are are especially interested in in the, in basically working with Israel because they're moving in the same direction. The the Emiratis actually have, according to the Transparency International, for the last couple of years, they've had a higher clean government score than Israel. Uh, Israel has its internal problems, which we've reported on regularly with the Hasidim, the, uh, their, their, their Arab minority, although the Arab minority is turning around now and realizing that, well, hey, if the Emiratis, you know, can basically uh, you know, deal with reality, so can we. But again, it's, there's still a large minority of the, uh, the Israeli, the 20% uh, of the population citizens who are Arabs. Uh, who are basically, uh, you know, interested in destroying the, uh, the paradise, so to speak, the relative paradise they're living in. But that brings up another problem. One reason the Saudis have a problem in basically going public uh, with uh, basically, uh, you know, allying with Israel is that for over 50 years, they have been condemning Israel as, you know, foreigners, as, uh, you know, enemies of Islam, uh, as basically oppressing the Palestinians, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in a, in a practical sense, the Saudis have backed off on all of that. The problem is, how did they deal with the indoctrination of their own people? These, the uh, Saudis always had a problem uh, with uh, Islamic fundamentalism. Uh, the Wahhabi uh, strain, so to speak, of Islam is one of the more, how should I put it, uh, fundamentalist and the Saudis use that uh, to the Saud family uh, to gain control over the uh, the uh, uh, what most of Arabia, except for the, the Emirati states, the you know the coastal states and Yemen, uh, by basically you know keeping everybody happy. It didn't really work out. In the late 70s, they had a bunch of uh, local maniacs. Uh, invading the uh, Kaaba, the uh, the uh, holiest shrine in Mecca, and uh, that was very difficult to get them out. And part of getting them out was making a compromise with the uh, uh, the the clergy, as it were, the the very conservative clergy, that they would basically hand over the educational system uh, to the conservatives. Now it was still possible for a uh, ambitious uh, Saudi. To get an education, you know, a, a, a useful education, as it were, you know, in STEM, in science and technology. Most of them ended up living in the West because even if they got such an education, there weren't that many jobs unless it was, you know, in the petroleum industry. And a lot of those jobs are now held by Saudis. Uh, but the, uh, the, the basically several generations of Saudis 
have got a disproportionate number of, of uh, bright young men and women who have uh, degrees in religious studies, uh, which, you know, anywhere in the world will not get you, uh, will not provide you with the skills to get a decent job. Uh, the Saudis further, uh, they basically handicap themselves by spending the money by basically creating this huge welfare state where most of the hard work uh, was done by uh, immigrants, either poor immigrants from, you know, South Asian, Bangladesh, and what have you, as laborers doing the labor, and uh, more educated immigrants from Palestine, which didn't last long, and because when they, uh, when the, uh, uh, the the Iraqis invaded Kuwait. Uh, it was the, the they were basically urged to move on to Saudi Arabia, and the Palestinians, it turned out, were cheering on the Iraqis. Uh, you know they they never lost an opportunity to lose an opportunity, so they were pitched out of uh, Saudi Arabia by and large, uh, and many other countries where they had good jobs, and of course now the the Palestinians are trying to be an obstacle to any peace, including the Abraham Accords, by not accepting a two-state solution. Now, technically, the UN says, yes, they do, and, and we still back it. But there's a constant stream of uh, you know, uh, Palestinian media basically saying peace with Israel is not possible. Uh, the only solution is the destruction of Israel. You know, they, they publish more and more. Well, they only publish maps showing the Israel not there and just, you know, Palestine. Um, and this is a problem which most Arab states have recognized, but they have a hard time selling it to their citizens. Well, in Saudi Arabia in particular. But in Saudi Arabia, again, uh, they have to square any deal they make with their conservative brand of Islam. I mean, it's so conservative, and, and I think a lot of people aren't aware of this. No other religion can openly worship in Saudi Arabia. No Christian churches, no Hindu, no nothing. Uh, they they made exceptions for Aramco employees who were uh, overwhelmingly from the West, where they could worship at home, uh, but if anything in public would get you arrested. They same thing with alcohol, which they sort of eased up a little bit, but you know uh, things you couldn't do in public and you had to be careful doing in private. Um, and this is changing slowly. Uh, the crown prince, who's, who is the de facto head of the uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, MSB, uh, uh, the, the, the king is basically senile and just, you know, waiting out, waiting out his time. Um, and the, but the crown prince is firmly ensconced, you know, as the successor. He wants to make a lot more changes, and he's finding out that the, too many Saudis just aren't ready yet. And that's a problem they, they, they've acknowledged for, for, oh, decades now. And they've been working on it, but it's tough. I mean, getting, uh, you know, several uh, people who are several generations away from the, the, the dirt poor uh, economic situation of most Saudis, you know, uh, up to World War II, actually up to the 60s, uh, that's radically changed. Most of them don't really have to work. They get a cushy a government job, which requires no effort, you know, on their part. Um, and the Saudis are trying to wean them away from that because they haven't got the money anymore. Uh, there are a lot more Saudis taking advantage of it, and uh, the oil price went down. It's back up now, but there's no telling, you know, uh, you know, when it's going to go down again because you know the rest of the world is learning how to do with less oil and how to produce cheaper oil or more oil themselves, uh, cutting out the uh, you know the Middle Eastern uh, sources. Um, so we have problems here which are self-inflicted 
which even if you want to change them, they can't be done with the snap of a finger, as it were. And as Austin pointed out, there have been unofficial, you know, cooperation, government to government, between almost all of the uh, the uh, the states in um, in Arabia, uh, with the possibly likely exception of uh, of Yemen. That's a whole other story. Um, and um, the uh, Qataris, as Austin pointed out, have been basically trying to uh, walk the line between Iran and uh, you know and and the rest of Arabia. Uh, somewhat successfully, but they have a lot of money, and they've been very clever at how they go about it. Um, but the, the writing is on the wall, as it were, uh, that the future is uh, al- alliance with uh, Israel and not with the um, uh, not with the basically the enemies of Israel, like Iran. Iran was long seen as a threat to the Arabs. I'll never forget uh, <clears throat> back in the '70s, before the Shah was overthrown. There was this uh, article, and I think it was New York Magazine, had a picture on the cover with uh, the the Imperial Marines storming ashore in Saudi Arabia. Because even then, the Arabs Arabs realized that the Iranians believed a lot of the Arab oil belonged to Iran, and were scheming to take it back. Now, how real that was, I don't know. I mean, the Shah did a lot of things wrong, but I don't think he was seriously planning on going to war with the uh, uh, the Arab states. But they saw Iran as a threat. And after the 80s, when the uh, the religious dictatorship took over in Iran, a Shia dictatorship, uh, bit by bit, uh, the uh, uh, the Iranian uh, you know uh, te- uh, you know uh, uh, theoretic state uh, began including the Arab states in their list of enemies. And in the last 10 years, they've been saying, you know, we really should be running uh, Mecca, the holy uh, most holy uh, uh, you know. Uh, Pilgrimage sites in uh, in Islam, uh, not the Saudis, because the Saudis are not really good as uh, good Muslims. Um, and uh, so, for the Saudis, the battle with Iran, no matter who's running it, is life or death. You know, there's no there's no wiggle room anymore. Uh, but again, all this this 50, 60 years of um, of anti-Israel uh, propaganda is a tough thing to wear down. You know, it's easy to get to the people running the governments who after a while have to face reality, even while many of their their citizens do not uh, do not want to. Um, but to make big changes, official changes, you have to basically come out and say, you know, all right, we made mistakes. Mistakes were made. We will have to correct them. Uh, Iran is doing their work for them. Uh, but the problem with Iran is. Uh, they see a good chance, even though they have a hardcore government uh, now. I mean, they. I remember. Got to remember, Iran has elections, but they're controlled elections. Anybody running for office in Iran, especially in the for the parliament, which basically selects the uh, the prime minister, the senior people in the cabinet, um, has to be approved or can be vetoed by the Guardians Council. This is the Council of Twelve Senior Clerics, who basically are the ultimate power um, in Iran. And in this last election, nobody who was anywhere close to uh, being against the hardline, you know, uh, um, Israel must be destroyed, et cetera, et cetera, line was allowed to get anywhere near, you know, a candidacy. And uh, so now you have a uh, basic, the, the prime minister is, was accused of being a war criminal as far back as the 1980s. Uh, and, of course, se- several of his uh, ministers are on the international uh, terrorist terrorist uh, blacklist, and uh, and 
they're in is basically you can see they're upping the ante uh, more and more because they do not want to surrender. The Iranians don't want a civil war. Uh, uh, they didn't have one to overthrow the Shah. They just had to overthrow what they considered a corrupt government, which didn't have much pu- public support. Um, but we're basically get he- edging towards a uh, you know another blow up in a, a major blow up as far as Iran is concerned, uh, because a lot of Iranians are basically quietly abandoning Islam. Uh, they can't do this publicly because that's a uh, capital offense. You can be executed for it. Uh, but the uh, the government, uh, like any dictatorship, they have their own informant network and they conduct you know, unofficial but fairly accurate polls of public opinion. Even even Russia did this, and uh, and the results have been coming back about this. You know, let's get let's get rid of Islam. Islam is all of our problems, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and let's get rid of the current government. Um, uh, so Iran is going for broke. Now, uh, going for broke, if they have nuclear weapons, uh, could get very ugly very quickly. Uh, and that's why the Iranians are willing to basically make any any promises uh, that they have to, that they won't keep, in order to get the sanctions lifted so they can get, uh, get their uh, nuclear uh, weapons program in high gear. They're already breaking uh, the agreements they were keeping to get some trade uh, with uh, uh, with Russia and China, uh, but they can't openly uh, buy a lot of stuff they need uh, because they simply haven't got the money. Uh, so cash has always been the the key, you know, to uh, Iranian success in becoming a successful and longer lasting dictatorship. Uh, but you know, they the Iranians have a unique, <laughs> well, not a unique. They they've always been uh, basically famous for their ability to talk their way out of all sorts of uh, problems. That other countries don't. That's why they were the uh, regional superpower for centuries. Them and the Turks. They don't like the Turks because the Turks were basically one group they couldn't defeat. They couldn't stop. They lost what is now major uh, uh, majority of Iraq uh, to the Turks. Uh, uh, you know, like 300 years ago, and they've they've never gotten over that. They also lost uh, the Azerbaijanis, or at least uh, you know, uh, I think the majority of them. Uh, to Russia in the 19th century. The Russians tried to take all of Azerbaijan after World War II, and we stepped in and stopped them. Um, uh, that won the, uh, how should I put it, the gratitude of the the uh, the monarchy, uh, but it was basically a mark against us for the, uh, the Islamic government that followed in the 1980s. Um, so, yeah, things are looking good for this, this progress, this, you know, this, how should I put it, uh, uh, Abraham Accord, you know, peaceful trade, uh, no pe- no war threats and what have you. But right now, uh, the main impediment is Iran. And uh, the Iranians uh, have real, always put the fear of their capabilities into the, the Arabs. Even when they got all the oil, the Arabs thought we have finally have a way to, to basically uh, reduce our fear of Iran. Uh, but it's still there because the Iranians are basically redoubling their efforts. Nothing, nothing encourages, you know, the Iranians to uh, uh, to uh, basically come up with new um, ways to stay alive uh, than the threat. And they've been threatened more than ever before uh, in the last decade. The question is, you know, you know, is the immovable, immovable object or the, you know, the uh, the irresistible force uh, going to win in this this uh, this contest? And that's still open to question. Austin, do you have anything to say before we wrap this up? 
No, but the uh, one of the key things uh, uh, Jim said, it, re reinforcing that uh, uh, one of the key elements that led to the uh, Abraham Accords, to the uh, Iranian threat, the Iranian threat to get nuclear weapons, uh, uh, fear the of the by the Gulf Arab states, fear of being abandoned uh, by being abandoned by, uh, by whom? The United States, Europe sold out when the Israelis <clears throat> wouldn't sell them out because they're there. Uh, that's uh, that, that's important to recognize that, as, as Jim said, you know, the, uh, Iran in, in, is uh, its own worst <laughs> enemy in uh, solidifying, uh, creating the, the, the context for the Abraham Accords, but, but then in solidifying uh, it, it public recognition. And it's still the driver that's going on within uh, Saudi Arabia. Jim, Jim's uh, description of what we'll call the long-term effects of vicious uh, uh, ethnic and religious propaganda on the uh, Saudi people, uh, yes, that's there. And that's uh, makes it extremely difficult. Suddenly, oh, well, we've been lying to you for 50, 60, 70 years uh, or exaggerating and the worst type of uh, exaggerations. And that is an Im impediment. But at the same time, uh, the, there, there are individuals who have been doing business and doing so openly, maybe not in Saudi Arabia and, and in Israel, but fine, uh, they're doing it uh, in uh, Athens or, or uh, London. Uh, really, they were doing it in, in Dubai and in, in the UAE as well, but the, the UAE was uh, really an open place for uh, those kind of negotiations, those kind of deals, and as a transshipment point. So it, it, the other thing I would add, Dan, and not not to go off on another tangent, is is Israeli technology has really uh, valuable. It's it's what it, the one of the things the Turkish military wants to uh, be able to be able to tap. Uh, that's uh, because there's common interests again, not with Iran, but also with, with uh, uh, chaos in, 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 in Central in Central Asia, and in, in in our case too, we've done so many semi-covert co-development projects, uh, particularly on, in uh, air and, and missile defense uh, with the Israelis. Iron Dome is a uh, a, a physical manifestation of that a fabulous system for uh, de defending towns uh, and neighborhoods from uh, tactical uh, missile and uh, artillery strikes. Very attractive to have the Israelis as, uh, as allies. So uh, I guess I'll leave it at that. Okay, well, we'll continue to watch the situation there in Israel and the rest of the Middle East, and we'll talk to you gentlemen next time. Bye, guys. Bye, Dan. Yeah.